Hello, and welcome to this podcast. In case this is the first one that you're listening to, I'm going to give you a short introduction. I'm Cindy Pearson. Over a year ago, I started a home Bible study about the women of the Bible. Each week was about one or possibly two women, and I read her story out of the Bible, interjected some thoughts and facts about the story, and then after the reading, I would recap, talk about the woman and some of her characteristics and how we could apply them to us today. I really enjoyed doing the teachings, and it was so exciting that soon other women that I worked with wanted to participate. Before I knew it, I not only had the home Bible study, but I was also doing three different lunchtime Bible studies at different offices. So with the encouragement of some of those girls, I'm going to put these lessons on this podcast. I'm using the same format. I'll read the story straight out of the Bible with some thoughts. I use the New American Standard simply because that's what I grew up reading. Then I will recap, talk a little bit about the story, and at the very end, I give a little reminder from the lesson on something that we can praise God for, something that we can thank Him for, something for us to confess, and something for us to ask from God. One of the things I loved about this process is that God's Word says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So I believe that as you listen or study along with me, that God will speak to your heart, and I hope you will enjoy this as much as I have. This is the fifth podcast. If you missed the first ones, there's one for Eve, and one about Sarah, and then Rebecca, and then Rachel and Leah. And this one about this one is about Tamar, and we're going to start in Genesis 38, chap, uh, chapter 38, verse 1. So just some background. Um, we have uh, finished the ones, as I said, about Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and Leah. And in those, on uh, the last one, um, Rachel and Leah were married to Jacob, and his name was changed to, changed to Israel. And he had 12 sons, and they became the father of the 12 tribe, the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. So this particular story is about Judah, who is one of those sons. So that's important to know because that's who we're studying about in this chapter. And the other part that's important to know is that um, there was another, the nations that Abraham has moved into, um, some of them were Canaanites. And those Canaanites were descendants of Ham, which was one of the sons of Noah. It's the one who, because of his immorality, was um, kind of banished from the area. So they came here and started nations. And um, as we see throughout the Bible that... Um, the nations in Canaan were very wicked. They uh, worshipped other gods, and God, um, Jehovah God, wanted his people to stay away from them because of their wickedness. So in verse 1 of chapter 38, it says that it came about at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. So we see right off that he left his family. Um, it's estimated that he was 16 to 18 years old at this time. And he went into Canaan and stayed with Hira. Now, we don't know how he met him or who he is or if he was a good influence on him. But it sounds like from this story that um, <clears throat> this friend may not have been the best influence. So because in verse 2, Judah saw that there was a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. And he took her and went into her. So what's interesting about this is, first of all, he's left his family and he's married without really consent, consulting them, or it looks like even talking to them. And from the stories that we've read of the other women in the Bible, 
We know that Abraham and Sarah were very particular about sending a servant back to their families from where they came from to find a wife for their son Isaac, and that is the story of Rebecca. And then we also know that Rebecca and Isaac sent back to the same families to find a wife for Jacob. <clears throat> and so they were very um, adamant about keeping a wife from their own families and not mixing with these Canaanite countries. Um, in fact, in Genesis 24, 3, it says, Swear that you shall not take a wife from my son from the country that he was in. Genesis 26, 35 talks about how Esau brought grief to his family because he did marry women that were foreigners. Genesis 28, 1 says, You shall not take a wife. And Jacob, in that case, obeyed the whole first part of Genesis 28. And also Esau, Esau saw that his parents were frustrated with him for marrying foreigners, <clears throat> and he um, saw that they were displeased. So here we have Judah, and he's married a Canaanite. And in verse 3, she conceived and bore a son, and they named him Ur, E-R, Ur. And then in verse 4, she conceived again and bore a son and named him Onan. And then she bore still another son and named him Shelah, S-H-E-L-A-H. And it was at Shibzib that she bore him. Now, Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. So this is the beginning of the story of Tamar. Obviously, some time has passed between verse 5 and 6 because his boys are now grown, and he is taking a wife for his um, firstborn. Verse 7 says, But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord took his life. <clears throat> so Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and perform your duty as a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. And Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So it came about that when he went into his brother's wife, he wasted his seed on the ground in order not to give offspring to his brother. So this is um, an interesting part of Levitical law where um, Moses had said that if um, a brother passed away, that the next brother would marry that wife. So in Matthew 22, 24, the Sadducees come to Jesus and say, Teacher Moses said, if a man dies having no children, um, his brother as next of kin shall marry his wife and raise up an offspring to his brother. And they were asking a question about that. But that comes from Deuteronomy 25, um, where uh, Moses actually stated that. And that chapter and verse says that when brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside of the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her to himself as a wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of the dead brother, and his name will not be blotted out from Israel. So <clears throat> the second brother knew that um, this first child would basically be... Um, his older brother's son. And it also had um, some to do with inheritance. So normally the firstborn son received half of the inheritance and then the rest of it was split between the other brothers. So unless the second brother had a son um, for the first brother, and, that, and in that case, that son would get half of the inheritance. So I don't know if, it, we don't know if it was for those reasons or he just didn't like his brother or we don't know, but he... Um, <clears throat> didn't follow through with what he was supposed to do. So in verse 10, it says that what he did was displeasing in the sight of the Lord, so he took his life also. So now Judah 
and um, his wife have lost their first two sons. So Judah said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, remain a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought, I'm afraid that he too may die like his brothers. So Tamar went and lived in her father's house. So it was hard to be a widow during these times because pretty much they didn't marry again. They just lived as a widow with their family and they really um, couldn't do much. There weren't jobs for them. There really wasn't anything that they could do. And it's obvious from verse 11 that Judah felt like it was her fault and not the boys. And so he's worried about giving his third son to her. So in verse 12, another considerable amount of time has passed. It says, now after a considerable time, Shua's daughter, the wife of Judah, died. Um, so now the, the mother has passed away. Um, and then, and when the time of mourning was ended, Judah went up to his sheep shearers at Timnah, he and his friend Hira the Adulamite. So his friend from verse 1 is still hanging around after all this time, and they are going together um, after the time of mourning for his wife up to the sheep shearers. So what is with the sheep shearing? So this is kind of a thing where this was a party time. It was several nights. They were away from home. Um, it usually involved drunkenness and um, partying. Um, there's several mentions of it in the Old Testament. Um, Genesis 31, 14 talks about when Laban went to the sheep shearers. And during that time, Rachel stole the family idols. Um, there's another mention of it in 1 Samuel 25 when Abigail's husband went. And then again in 2 Samuel 13, Absalom um, seek, sought revenge during a time while, while the people there were drunk. So it's mentioned several times. So he's added up there with this friend. <clears throat> and in verse 13, it was told to Tamar, Behold, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So just as a little side note, um, Timnah is also the place where Samson found Delilah. Um, doesn't have anything to do with this story, but I just thought that was interesting. So verse 14, <clears throat> Tamar removed her widow's garments, so she's been wearing them all this time, covers herself with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in the gateway of Enam, which is on the road to Timnah, for she saw that Sheila had grown up and she had not been given to him as a wife. So basically she knows now the youngest son's grown up, he's old enough, and it's not going to happen. So in verse 15, Judah saw her. He thought she was a harlot, for she had covered her face. So he turned aside to her by the road and said, Here now, let me come in to you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What will you give me that you may come in to me? And he said, Therefore, I will send you a kid from the flock. And she said, Moreover, will you give a pledge until you send it? And he said, What pledge shall I give you? And she said, Your seal, your cord, and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. Then she arose and departed, removed her veil, and put on her widow's garments. So he um, comes and thinks that she's just a, a temple prostitute, and he leaves with her. Um, he's, he intends to pay her with a kid from his flock, but as a pledge that he will come back and do that, he leaves her his sealed, his I'm sorry, his seal, S-E-A-L, his cord, and his staff. So the seal, no two were alike. Those were authority and identity. They would use a seal to seal a document um, in, in wax. And then there was a cord that held the seal, and that was a sign of integrity. And then his staff, which those also were fairly unique, was a sign of power. So basically, he gave her his authority, his identity, his integrity, and his power. 
And um, then she went home and put her widow's garments on. So in verse 20, when Judah sent the kid by his friend, the Udolamite, to receive the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. And he asked the men of the place, saying, Where is the temple prostitute who was by the road at Enaim? But they said, There has been no temple prostitute here. So he returned to Judah and said, I did not find her. And furthermore, the men of the place said, There has been no temple prostitute here. So Judah said, Let her keep them, lest we become a laughingstock. After all, I sent this kid, but you did not find her. So now he's in a situation where um, he goes to try to um, pay. He sends his friend, the same friend from verse 1 to do that, um, sends um, sends the payment, can't find her. So now he doesn't have his seal, his cord, and his staff, and he can't find her. And he knows that if he keeps asking that um, people are going to laugh at him and be like, what, you know, what are you thinking? Um, also, just lest we think that she she was deceptive um, and he did think that she was a prostitute, but um, the other part of Moses' law said that if there was no brother, that a father-in-law um, could also play the part to um, just for her to conceive, not to marry her, not as a husband and wife, but just for her to conceive and have a child. So the lineage of these families and these peoples were so important that there were actually laws in place to keep those family lines going. So um, she knew that law. Um, so in verse 24, now it was about three months later and Judah was informed, your daughter-in-law Tamar has played the harlot and behold, she is with child by harlotry. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. So it, he doesn't know. And they say, oh, she's pregnant. She's supposed to be in widow's garments. She's not supposed to be um, seeing any men. And so he, he says, okay, bring her out and let her be burned. Um, this was also Levitical law. So in um, Leviticus 21.9, it literally says that if a woman um, is with another man uh, other than her husband, or if she's um, a prostitute, that she was to be burned with fire. So in verse 25, it was while she was being brought out that she sent to her father-in-law and said, I am with child by the man to whom these things belong. And she said, please examine and see whose signet ring and cords and staff are these. So this is like, you know, a, a murder mystery on TV or something because she's been hiding this, these items, and now um, he has... Um, brought her out for punishment for what's happening, and she brings out the items and says, whose are these? And so notice she didn't say, hey, these are yours, you did it. She just simply brought them out. And in verse 26, Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I, inasmuch as I did not give her to my son Sheila, and he did not have relations with her again. And it came about at the time she was giving birth that, behold, there were twins in her womb. Moreover, it took place that while she was giving birth, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, This one came out first. But it came about that he drew back his hand, and behold, his brother came out. And she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. And he was named Perez. 
And afterward, his brother came out who had the scarlet thread on his hand, and he was named Zara. So that is um, the end of this story. But it's interesting because as we talk about uh, lineage, and this is um, one of the stories about a woman in the Bible that I love so much because we're going to see in two other places that she is mentioned again. And so even though it sounds like um, that she didn't, she was deceptive in doing this and, um, you know, how, how could this be a good part of the story? But a couple of things here. One, because she did this, um, if she had had uh, a son by one of Judah's sons, um, the lineage would have, you know, been further, further down the line. It would have been one of Judah's sons and her, but because of the way this worked out, um, her sons were actually Judah's sons. So it actually backed the lineup one. Um, and it wasn't Judah's son, but Judah himself, who was the father of these two boys, um, Perez and Jera. So Judah had shown very little concern regarding his line. He did not go seek a wife from the family of um, his family. So instead, God used Tamar to continue this line. Um, and there's a couple of really interesting um, verses that follow here. One of them is in Ruth 4.2, and we will study Ruth um, a little bit later. But I love when chapters and books in the Bible get repeated farther down um, in chapters later. And so in Ruth, I'm turning there now, in Ruth 4, after the story of Ruth at the very end of it, Ruth 4.12, um, one of the blessings that they give um, to Ruth, it starts actually in verse 11, and I mentioned this also in the story of Rachel and Leah because the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel. And we talked about that during their story. But in verse 12, Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, through the offspring which the Lord shall give you by this young woman. So here again, in Ruth 4, Tamar, who even though the story is one chapter long and a little bit different, like really, this is um, a very interesting story to be put in the middle here. She's mentioned in Ruth and used as a blessing for that family. And then again in Matthew um, chapter 1, um, the whole genealogy of Jesus is here. It starts in 1 and it goes all the way through verse um, 17. And in all of these um begats and who was born to who, etc. There are four women listed. And one of the women listed here is Tamar. In verse three, it says, and to Judah was born Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Um, there's three other women listed, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. And we'll talk about them as we get to them. But I just find it so interesting that this little story in Genesis 38 is mentioned as a blessing in Ruth and then she's mentioned again in Matthew um, as part of the lineage that Jesus came through. So as we come to the end of her story, um, let's look at just a couple of, of things. One, something that we can praise God for, and that is that he allows himself, that he allows Jesus to be intimately linked with fallen humans from whom he descends. So the stories, especially um, in the New Testament as well, but especially as we went through these women in the 
Old Testament, the, some of the stories are just really amazing, but they show that they were humans as we are, that they were um, obviously not perfect um, as we are not. And the fact that God chose to um, reconnect with us by sending Jesus and to be intimately linked with us, um, even though we were, were a fallen people, so that we can just praise God for that, that he cared enough to send Jesus back to us um, so that we could be connected again to God. <clears throat> and then to thank God um, that uses everyone and everything to bring about good results. So this little story um, using Judah and Tamar, and what a strange story it was, and yet he uses it to bring about good results. And in fact, to protect that line of people that were to bring forth um, Jesus. Um, and then uh, our confession that we have a tendency to judge others as Judah did Tamar. And just a reminder that we are told to judge not lest we be judged and to be careful um, when we look at other people because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we just need to, to be careful and to confess our tendency to do that. And then lastly, to ask God to take away any desperation that you might feel and replace it with hope. And the verse in Jeremiah um, 29, that God knows you and he knows the plans that he has for you and they're good plans. He, um, he wants the best for us. So if you are in a place right now, a tendency to be, um, to feel desperate, especially with what's going on in our world right now, to, to feel depressed, to feel um, anxious, to just know um, that Jeremiah 29 says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And verse 12 actually says, you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. So just um, to ask God to um, to do that for you. That's my prayer for you is that um, you will not feel uh, discouraged and despaired or des have desperation um, or be depressed, but that you will feel um, the hope um, that God wants you to know that he wants, um, he has good plans for you and um, a future and a hope for you. So that is the end of our lesson on Tamar. Thank you for joining me and um, come back again to listen to the rest. Thanks so much.